Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here today. It's good to be in this house. Amen. Is anyone lethargic from too many ham sandwiches yesterday? Graduation Saturdays are upon us, aren't they? And uh, it seems like wherever you go, you get the same food, and it's delicious, and it's awesome. It's my favorite time of the year. Um, but today is Pentecost Sunday, and it's, the, uh, it's not only exactly 50 days from Easter Sunday, it is the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples in a way that launched the church age. And this was the day that uh, in church history that coincides with the Jewish Feast of Weeks or the Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. Shavuot, Shavuot, that is the Hebrew word for Feast of Weeks. And there are a lot of parallels with these two. Go back and listen to the the part nine of this series if you want to dig deeper into that. But this is the day when the third person of the Trinity, the Hagios Numa, Right, The awe-inspiring spirit of the living God was poured out for the very first time in such a way that his people were baptized, literally dipped or fully immersed into his spirit. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for a long time. I I know that. It's the longest series I think I've ever done. And um, it's been very challenging for me. Uh, I hope it's challenged you as well. It's definitely challenged me. just the, the depths that you can go into this subject and never really find the end of it. Because no matter how much you know, how, how, how many know this, that the deeper you go, the deeper you, you realize, the deeper you can go. And it's like it never, ever gets to the end, which is, it's awesome. It's an awesome thing. So, uh, prior to this 50 days, Uh, prior to this day, uh, Jesus had breathed on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. I'm doing a little bit of review here because this is our last Sunday on the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, when he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, uh, the same Holy Spirit that would baptize 50 days later today was deposited into those disciples in the same way that he has deposited into us when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. So I'm kind of working my way backwards here from, from in our series. And prior to that, we see the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in and through him as, as he ministered. And even though he was fully God, Jesus denied the rights and privileges as God to be an example to us. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, he used the same rules of operation that are available to us. And I think that's a, a, an awesome thing to really comprehend and get way deep down in your spirit. Because He said, even greater works will you do than these. That's us, church. Greater works will you do. You mean you can do greater works than Jesus? That's what he said. That's what he said. Prior to this, we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the prophets and in the judges and how he would come upon and anoint specific individuals for specific purposes in the Old Testament. We even got in discussing his role in creation as we started this series and laid it, and as it's laid out, I guess, in the, in the book of Genesis. And you may remember that the original Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit is ruach, which is almost always translated spirit, wind, or breath. And I hope that you have seen throughout this series that the Holy Spirit has always been and he always will be. He's the third member of the Trinity, which we know to be one God who manifests himself through three distinct personalities. He has the characteristics of God because he is God. And we've seen that he is creative, he's protective, he prepares, he's gentle, he's constantly wooing us back into relationship with with God. And we also have seen that he brings judgment upon sin and his enemies. He He has always had an active role in the lives of God's people. His influence has increased on his people throughout the centuries from coming upon individuals for special purposes in the Old Testament all the way to baptizing his people into himself All those that seek and desire to experience him in that way can be baptized. And so the Holy Spirit's influence in a a believer, it's increased. And we live on the increased side of that, which is awesome, right? This side of the cross, this side of the day of Pentecost. And I I just got to say this. 
we couldn't be living in a more exciting time than we're living right now. And I, I know the world's going crazy. I get that. But it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter to us because we know the end of the story. We know the truth of what is going to take place. And we have so much power. We have as much power as we could ever need available to us to get through anything and to still carry out those things that God has called us to do. This is some of what we've covered the last several months. And today, again, we wrap it up. And I, I want to wrap it up in a, in a, in a way that, that's maybe a little convicting. Galatians 5, through 23. I believe some of the most convicting scripture for Christians to read in all of the New Testament. But it says this in verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And the word fruit here is from the Greek word karpos. Everybody say karpos. And actually you're supposed to put the accent on the end, so karpos, karpos, which is defined as that which originates or comes from something. It's an effect. It's the result of something. That's the word fruit. It's the result of something. It originates with or comes from something else. The Holy Spirit, whether you are talking about him being deposited in your life as the result of salvation or your whole person being immersed in him through the baptism in the Holy Spirit will, will uh, produce the good fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what will be produced in your life when you have the Holy Spirit as we are to have him. All those things... And let me point out that the scripture clearly says fruit, not fruits. Why is that important? Because having the fruit of the Holy Spirit is having all these characteristics. You don't get to pick one, the one that's easiest for you to have, and leave the others on the table because those particular characteristics are di more difficult for you. They all apply. It's one fruit with all of these characteristics and just like the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation gifts of the Spirit, which we studied the last several weeks, we did three a week, there was nine of them. There's nine fruits as well, or fruit, characteristics of fruit as well. So these characteristics uh, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they are the effect or the result of having the Holy Spirit within us. Church, that, that's convicting. It really is when you begin to study what these things, it, being in your life, these particular characteristics, what that means, how that changes your life. And understand, these are fruit, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what happens when the Spirit is in you. These aren't things that you can produce in your own ability. You can't be disciplined enough to make that happen. The Holy Spirit has to be there so that this fruit can be exhibited in your life. Jesus taught us a lot about fruit. Matthew 7, 15 through 20 says this, beware of false prophets. And he, he talked about this in reference to the end as the end drew near. How many know the end's drawing near? He said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown to the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So if we're going to look at that verse and then look at Galatians 5, through 23 and we look at them together, we could say with confidence that the fruit which is displayed in your life, the way you act on a regular basis is the method by which we determine if the tree of your life is good or not. Man, that's convicting. I hope that convicts you a little bit 
Because that's me, that means you're, you're living in a little thing we call reality. Because unless you're perfect, and you got any of them in here today? Unless you're perfect, except for Eric. Oh man, you need Jesus, buddy. <laughs> He's nodding his head. Yeah. Unless you're perfect, you have to have the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit that, that, that proves He's in there. Good trees don't produce bad fruit. Bad trees will not produce good fruit. If there's a lack of good fruit, there's a problem with the tree. And if the fruit of the Holy Spirit with all nine of its characteristics isn't present, then is the Holy Spirit really in control of your life? These are hard things, and I, I know there isn't one of us who, again, who displays all nine of these characteristics all of the time. But the times that we don't display the fruit should be the exceptions to the rule, not our normal mode of operandi. And let's let the hammer drop on us a little bit this morning. As Pentecostals, we sometimes believe that we have the, we have the Holy Spirit in a greater capacity than believers who are not Pentecostals. Let me say this about that. Just because you have experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is a free gift offered to all believers, it doesn't mean that you have the right to become arrogant or elitist in your attitude towards those who have not. I've said this before. I don't even like the term full gospel. We're a full gospel church because the other churches are half gospel. It's arrogant. It's arrogant. And furthermore, if love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control are not displayed in your life as your normal behaviors, don't be giving the Holy Spirit a bad name by claiming that you're full of him. Because in reality, you're full of something else. I mean, come on, that's true. Let's just be real. And again, I understand that we will miss the mark sometimes. We will have moments where we are not kind, for example. But if we are displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit, those moments will be short-lived and they'll be followed by repentance. We may treat someone unkindly in a weak moment, but then we follow up with an apology or we will do what we must to make it right. If the fruit isn't being displayed, there are no if ands or buts about it. You can't fake good fruit, church. You cannot fake it. Hypocrisy will eventually be revealed. And understand, there is a pruning that is already, uh, has already begun within the body of Christ as a whole. There will be a time of purging, and it's coming. It's coming. As the end of this age draws near, there will be great apostasy. There will be people who believe, who have accepted Jesus, who will turn their back on their beliefs. And they'll have all sorts of reasons why. Some of them will sound really good. 1 Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18, You already know these things, dear friends, but be on guard, so then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Verse 18, rather you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just want you to understand that as the day of the Lord approaches, people are going to fall away. Those that are not authentic will fall. And this is a warning to, to, to not follow man, but to follow God. And as, as, as we draw close to him and, and to one another, we must be aware that there will be some false prophets and teachers we will have to be able to recognize them by their fruit. So let's go over these nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And I, th that means it's nine points left. Can you handle that this morning? I, I told someone before church, I got a 10-pager today. It's the longest one I ever had. 10 pages doesn't mean it's going to be that uh, longer than anyone I've had. It just means uh, I got 10 pages. 
But we're gonna hit these nine things real quickly. Love is the first one mentioned. More specifically, the word there is agape, meaning affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, brotherly love. This is a caring for and seeking the highest good of another person without motive of personal gain. And understand, real love is not enabling those we love. I mean, we live in a world that, that has a warped view of love. Love means you just accept anything and everything with somebody. That's not love, that's enablement. Boy, people don't like to hear that. But I'm telling you, it's the truth. And understand, real love is, it, it, again, it's not enabling those we love. Real love is not rolling over and letting them trample over you. Real love is having a, enough affection to be truthful with others, even if the truth stings a bit. And parents, hear me on this. If you withhold the disciplinary rod of love because you feel that confronting your child is harmful to them, you're gonna be sorry. And I'm not advocating anything here, but, but firm discipline that's done in love and not anger. Married couples, hear me, love, loving confrontation is a good thing. Allowing your spouse to do whatever they want because you don't want to confront is not love. And your relationship will not grow. It'll remain stagnant. Love will always assess the situation at hand through the word of God. It can be disciplinary and it can be encouraging. It can be felt for sure, but ultimately love is a decision that you will do whatever you must for another's benefit. It always gives that which is needed for growth and betterment of another. And I, I love the old classic example that Josh McDowell used to give in his, his uh, talks. He'd say, you know how you take your toddler and when they run out to the street and you say, stop, stop, and they don't stop. And so when you finally catch them just before a car comes by and could have hit them, what do you do? You pick them in your arms and say, oh, that's okay. Next time, don't run quite as fast so that I can catch you quicker. No, you give them a little pop in the butt and you say, do what I say. Do what I say. Because I love you. Right? And, and, and listen to that. I mean, that, that is instruction because you love your child. I'm not saying you smack them around. You, you just pop them on that little padded part of the body. Love is a decision that you will do whatever you must for another's benefit. Of course, this includes giving affection, be it physical, emotional, or mental affection. It includes giving sound biblical advice. It includes giving a listening ear. It includes giving time, talent, and resources. It even includes that swift kick in the pants when needed. And the tricky part is knowing what is needed and when it is needed. And that means we desperately need the Holy Spirit leading in our lives in order to display that characteristic of love. We gotta have the Holy Spirit's leading in this. Because like I said before, you can't love authentically in your own ability. You have to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life to really, actually, truthfully love people. Do it in yourself sometime, try. You might, you might get lucky once in a while and make people feel loved. You might even love some people for real, but you can't do that in your own ability. So much of this, of the Holy Spirit, is, it, it comes down to letting go and letting God, doesn't it? So much of it does. Joy. This is the gladness that is felt and displayed in one's life based on the love, grace, blessings, promises, and nearness of God that belong to those who believe in and have given their heart to Jesus Christ. There's a joy that comes over you that just lives inside of you. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit being displayed, of course, but it's based off of the love, grace, blessings, promises, and nearness of God that belong to you as a Christian. Happiness can come and go with situations and circumstances. We've all been sad. We've all dealt with those things. But the individual who is full of the Spirit of God, joy is their norm. You can't rob a true Christian of their joy. You just can't do it. And church, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who have seemingly lost their joy. 
The only way you can lose it, by the way, is to allow others to steal it. And that's an act that is on (laughs) you if you've lost your joy. It's not on others. People are going to always do what people are going to do, but the moment that you let what someone else says about you or what they do to you, the moment you let that rob you of your joy, it's on you, it's not on them. And this is a hard one for sure. We all have times when we feel that joy being sucked out of us, and, and we get weak, and we let the devil steal it, but we can't live there, church. We have to remember that the joy we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's our strength. And when you think about what, whatever or whoever is trying to rob you of your joy, if you think about it through the eyes of eternity, if you compare those things to the eternal word of God, does it change your perspective? Because it should. We're only aliens in this world, by the way. This life is a vapor. We are citizens of heaven. We have an, an, an eternity to look forward to where there is no death, there is no pain, there is no sickness, no disease, no poverty, no addictions, no lack, no hate, no violence, no war, no social media, no calories, no fleshly bodies to deal with, no struggles of any kind, no depression, no anxiety, no hypocrisy, no sin, no infirmities of any kind. All of that. That's what we have to look forward to. And we can even have moments of that as much as we want as we allow Jesus to take over us and we display that fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ within us. Joy. How come that guy's so happy? Because he's got the joy. How can in the midst of of, of tribulation and turbulation and and the storms of life, can Christians go, whoo, praise the Lord. How can they do that? It's because of the joy that they feel, that they know, they stand in that. Man, heaven's gonna be joy, unspeakable joy. There's no words to express it, but we can have the assurance of that joy and that can and should be displayed in our lives as the very temples of the Holy Spirit that we are. See, we become pictures for the world. We become previews to the world of what is to come for those that love Jesus. That's convicting. What's your preview looking like these days? What are others that need Jesus seeing in you? What are they previewing by watching your life? And if joy is something that you struggle with, Pray that the Spirit of God would give you a revelation of what is to come. Focus your eyes on what is to come, what we have to look forward to, the life that we have to look forward to. This life is short, and we gotta labor here for a little while, I get that, but heaven is coming for all that believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and it will bring you joy. I think it's important for me to say this in the midst of of this conversation as well. Some of these come easy for some of you and some of these will be harder for some of you probably all nine are not simply automatic for you maybe none of them are I don't think any of them are automatic but there are some that just seem like it's harder to have that fruit displayed maybe that's a personality thing maybe that's just a a circumstantial thing I, I, I don't know I don't tend to struggle with joy I struggle with some of the other ones you might struggle with joy and that's okay I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying that it's different for every person. Peace. Number three, I better get moving here, right? This is the quietness of heart and mind based on the knowledge that all is well between you as a believer and your heavenly father. Peace. When you're right with God, when you're right in relationship with him, peace is the fruit It's the result of that. We serve the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He is the one that said in the midst of the raging storm, peace, be still, and the storm subsided. He is the one who can calm any storm within you and all around you. His peace is the peace that passes all human comprehension. It doesn't make sense in the natural realm of things that in the midst of whatever is thrown at you, that you can have this unbelievable, unshakable peace and just walk through. I think of the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace. 
Rack Shack and Benny, you know those guys? If you watch VeggieTales. And they're in there, and what does the onion say? <laughs> those three guys are in there, and there's a fourth one, and he's real shiny. Yeah. That's Jesus. He was in the midst of the fire, of a firestorm, in the midst of a furnace with them, and they were just in there hanging out. I think about that with Daniel, hanging out in the lion's den. How can you have peace? I think about that with, with Jesus as he, as he was sleeping during a storm. And everybody's freaking out because they're going to die and he's taking a nap. Peace. 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 It's a fruit of the Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you will have peace. If you don't have peace, you need more of the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit and the peace will come. Christians with the fruit of the Spirit display this kind of peace on a regular basis. They're just steady people. They don't live from drama to drama or crisis to crisis. They just seem to live above all that stuff. Have you ever known anybody like that? Nothing seems to shake them. Nothing seems to rock them. And it's interesting, and I've witnessed this a lot within the church, not just this church, the church as a whole. When Christians display this specific characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, a lot of times other Christians who do not display it seem to think that it's because they are, that the ones who are displaying it are just lucky and nothing bad ever seems to happen to them. I don't know how many times people have said this to me and peace is not something, well, sometimes I struggle with it, but I, I think most of the time I, I, I can have quite a bit of peace. But people have said to me and I've heard them say to other people who are like that, they're like, well, you're just lucky. Nothing bad ever happens to you. You think that's really true? Maybe it's not determined by situation and circumstance. Maybe it's determined by the fruit that's being displayed out of your life. And that stuff just doesn't matter when you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace rules in your life and you know that junk is not, has, it doesn't have any hold on you and doesn't have to control you. Oh my gosh, church, peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Man, I wish I was lucky as that guy. He never has anything bad happen to him. Everything just seems to work out. Not for me, though. Everything bad happens to me. You know, I, fruit of the Spirit, peace. Fill yourself with the Spirit of God and peace will come. It's available to you. It's there for the taking. Patience. This is endurance. Long-suffering. Look at your neighbor and say, long-suffering. All you that are married, look at your spouse and say it very slowly, long-suffering. There you go. This is being slow to anger or despair. I don't know where even to start with this one. Personally, my personality isn't geared for patience. I have, I have, um, I don't have very much patience for myself, really, even, or for others who knowingly do the same thing over and over again with full knowledge that it's not a healthy or good for them, but they keep doing it. And this one may, again, may come easier for you than for me, and that's why I desperately need, I desperately need the Holy Spirit reigning and rule in my life. It's got to give me patience. I have had. Uh, this displayed before me uh, every single day of my, of my married life. My wife, Alyssa, and I said her name, so now I owe her 40 bucks. Um, although, it's like her giving herself 40 bucks because we, everything we have is together. But my wife, talk about long-suffering. She'd have to be to be married to me. And everybody knows it. And that's Okay. I think. <laughs> the original Greek word that is translated patience here, <laughs> makrathomia. You like that word? Say it, makrathomia. Yeah, that was not even close. <laughs> and it carries with it the idea of perseverance, 
especially in reference to bearing troubles, to withstanding troubles. It means displaying a slowness in avenging wrongs that have been committed against us. You say, where are you getting these definitions? Right out of the Fire Bible and right out of Strong's Concordance. Just plain and simple. It means displaying a slowness in avenging wrongs that have been committed against you. Oh my goodness. Displaying the fruit of the Spirit with all of its characteristics may may seem a bit impossible, and, and again, it is. If we try to do this in ourselves, in our own human discipline, in our own power, we will fail, but with God, all things are possible. And again, fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. We talked a few weeks ago about being filled, being, being filled, that the scripture really says it that way, that we are to be in a constant state of being filled. Why? Because we need the Holy Spirit to display these fruits. That's the only way. Kindness. This is basically not desiring to hurt anyone or cause them pain. It's having right motives in our behavior and not spiteful or revengeful thoughts that we carry out to bring harm to others. It's wanting the best for others. The Strong's Concordance defines this as moral goodness or integrity. It plays out in our daily lives as we experience other people and how they act sometimes. How do we respond? Do we respond in a way that is kind or do we try to get even? Do we tell that person what we think when they lip off to us at work? Man, I gave him a piece of my mind. It felt good. You know, I quit my job today. My boss was really giving me a hard time. It was, it was Christmas, right? And as I walked out, I put a mistletoe back here. I mean, we're going to get revenge, right? We're going to get our say. Some of you just went right over your head. So. <laughs> We're going to get even. Do we, do we give that guy the bird who cuts us off in traffic? How many have ever accidentally done that and it wasn't a guy? There's a little old lady that couldn't see over the steering wheel. And then he felt bad. Come on. I don't want to shame you. Has, has anyone ever done that? Come on. Do we act like a jerk in the restaurant when we don't get the service we expect? Woo! That's not woo, that's ew. Kindness is doing unto others as you would have done unto yourself. It is giving grace when you don't want to, and it's keeping those motives of the heart in check. It's responding instead of reacting. It's being nice when others are not nice to you. It's not misquoting the scripture, an eye for an eye, but rather following the whole verse and the verse that follows, which says in Matthew 5, 38 through 39, you have heard it that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I don't know how many times I've heard people quote, well, you know what the Bible says, an eye for an eye. <laughs> they kind of miss the point there. <laughs> Completely. Kindness. Number six, goodness. This is real zeal. Real zeal for the truth and righteousness. It's a hatred of evil. And it can be expressed in both acts of kindness or rebuking and correcting evil. You may remember that when we went over the nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit that I said it's often hard to know when one gift, gift ends and another starts or begins. They overlap and they flow together beautifully while at the same time they are distinct and separate from one another. The fruit of the Spirit is, is like this as well. Goodness and kindness and love can overlap and complement one another, but they are still separate characteristics. And I think the word balance is a good word to interject into these teachings on the gifts as well as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to flow in and out of them without a healthy balance of them all. Goodness 
when displayed in an individual, will produce in them a love for the word of God. Because Jesus is the word of God in the flesh, they will love all of the word and will become balanced in the grace of God and the judgment of God. It's grace and judgment, right? They will achieve balance in rebuking and forgiving, disciplining and showing mercy. See, it's all the word of God that they love. Goodness is a, is a desire for all things that are good, all things that come from God. Goodness is loving the truth so much that you begin to rightly divide it as, as a whole, all of the word of God, and not just cherry-pick the verses you like. Anybody ever do that? I like that verse, I like that verse, I like that verse. I don't like that one so much. Sometimes we do that because it's convicting and we don't like to be convicted. Goodness is wanting it all. Anything that's God, do it. If there's any wayward part of me, take it out, God. I don't want anything in me that's not of you. Take it out, rip it out. Let me just be full of you, whatever that means. Goodness, it's fruit of the Spirit. Seven, faithfulness. This speaks to our relationships, our human relationships as well as our relationship to God. In our human relationships, it speaks of the character of one who can be relied on, like fidelity to a spouse, loyalty to a friend. In reference to God is the conviction uh, that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, that Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation. This all plays out in, 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 in our dedication to all things godly really. Our prayer life, our tithing, our willingness to give to missions, our time we spend in his word, our time we spend worshiping him, the action steps we take on a daily basis to build his kingdom. All these speak to the characteristics of faithfulness. We will be faithful to one another and to God as this characteristic of the fruit of the spirit plays out in our life. And there's a, a kind of re reserve or a reservoir that is built up within us when we operate in faithfulness, church. And it is the very well that we are able to draw from when we go through difficult times. Faithfulness fills our well so that we won't die of thirst during times of great famine. And it doesn't matter how that famine presents itself. It could be physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, financial, relational. Famines are going to happen once in a while in our lives. That's why we absolutely need the Holy Spirit to bring forth that faithfulness part of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because it builds that reservoir up. It gives us a reserve. Gentleness. This is restraint coupled with strength and courage. It describes a person who can be angry when anger is needed and humbly submissive when submissive submission is needed. The King James Version of the Bible translates this word meekness. And it's really about being humble which is the opposite of pride. As the fruit of the Spirit is displayed in your life, a humility will just become the norm for you. You won't always find yourself speaking in ways that make yourself look better than you are. I want you to think about that statement. Because when we talk to people, when we tell them stories, when we, when we explain to them situations, what do we do? Do we tell them the truth, or do we say it in such a way that massages the facts doesn't lie but massages the facts to make us look better in, in everything oh I don't do that let's look at your resume what's a resume anyway it's a big blow sheet of how great you are isn't it well mine is, is completely true well it may be but you didn't put anything on there that was did you have a section on there that listed your weaknesses We say things sometimes to make ourselves look better than we are. It's just kind of what we do. We want people to like us. We want people to accept us. We want people to think of us better than we really are. Am, am I preaching to anybody this morning? Is that true? Do we do that sometimes? Gentleness will attempt to dispel arguments and not stir up coals of dissension. Gentleness turns away wrath and revenge. It holds no grudges or, tear, or tries to tear down. Gentleness carries with it enough humility that it can let go and let God. 
And make no mistake, society often views gentleness as weakness, but it is the opposite. It's easy to have a fit of rage, but to portray gentleness in the midst of turmoil, it's near impossible. That's why we must be full of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it can be displayed all the time. We can only accomplish this when that fruit is displayed in our lives. Nine, last one, self-control. My personal favorite. (laughs) Some of you know me too well. This is mastering one's own fleshly desires and passions. It speaks of purity in every area of our lives, in the way we handle our finances, in our sexuality, in the way we eat, the way we take care of our bodies, and what we say or do not say, and really in every area that our flesh wants to be a glutton. How many know the flesh always wants to be a glutton no matter what it is? It always does. There have been several people that have talked to me about fasting lately, and a handful of people in the church fasted this last week on different days and for different lengths of time and for different reasons. And I bring this up because it's a great exercise that we can engage in that reminds our flesh who is in charge. And it's effective, church. When your flesh is getting fed by something that it really wants, be it social media, be it, be it food, be it video games, whatever it might be that just feeds that fleshly part of you. Try going without it. Cut it off. Instead of feeding it during those times when you normally feed that, go pray. Go read the word. Go spend time in worship or praise. Go spend time witnessing to somebody or talking, having conversations about Jesus. Spend time doing something spiritual instead and see what happens because what you're, what you're really saying is, flesh, you're not in control. Spirit man, you are. And I'm gonna prove it. And I'm gonna make you obey. But that's what I, I wanna do. And it, it, I want that. Anybody ever see a kid in the, store and they're in the checkout line and they have that stuff sitting there and it's really appealing a lot of times to the little kids that are sitting there and they're and they have a freak out session i mean you're right in front of you they're just freaking out because they want a lollipop or whatever they want i think god views us like that sometimes we kick and scream and we want this and we want that Self-control. Self-control. Our flesh loves to be in charge and dictate to us what we are going to do. Fasting says, shut up, flesh. I'm going to be controlled by my spirit, man, as that part of me connects with the Holy Spirit. Self-control is one of those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. If we do not possess self-control, how can we claim that the Holy Spirit is in us? Sure, we all have our moments in which we fail, but what is the norm? What is the rule of thumb in our lives? Are we displaying self-control or are we out of control most of the time? I think of this in reference to addictions. Someone once said to me that, I'm not picking on anybody, some of you are going to get mad at me, but I don't know how you can look at this and, and, and not think about some of these things that we do, be it food, be it gambling, be it smoking, be it whatever it might be drinking when there's addictions involved I, I, what controls you what controls you and if you can't say no to something I think it's a self control issue and it has to be addressed between you and the Lord I, I want to remind you of the Greek word fruit karpas we translate it fruit as I said And it's defined as that which originates or comes from something, in effect, a result. The result of having the Holy Spirit, be it deposited in your life at salvation, or even more so when you're immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit. The result of that should be the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness. I didn't miss any. The result, the litmus test, 
the evidence, the true indicator of having a spirit-filled life. A life where the Holy Spirit is deposited into your very spirit and even when you're immersed in him, in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Is that, the evidence of that is the fruit of the Spirit displayed, all those things. I thought closing today we could talk about this for just a second. What goes on in the life of a person who is not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? And it says in Galatians, right before Galatians 5, 22, it says this in Galatians 5, 16 through 21. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Oh, wow. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means those that live like this will not go to heaven. Yeah, but I went to church every Sunday. It doesn't matter. It's the fruit that tells the truth. The fruit that tells the truth. That's a hard thing to say. I don't like saying that because I look in the mirror every day and I know there's things about my life that I have to change. I get that. It should be like that for all of us. I think it probably is if we're honest with ourselves. And if you're a person that likes to deal in reality, this message does convict. This scripture does convict. It just has to. There isn't one of us here this morning that can claim they display the fruit of the Spirit the way they're supposed to. Not one. And I'm not trying to pick on you today. I just know we're human. And that's why God gives us the assurance that he is faithful and just to forgive us when we repent and turn away from our shortcomings, when we ask for that forgiveness that we need and we know that he, he never runs out of that forgiveness. But church, sometimes I think it's, a reminder has to be given from the pulpit that the word of God is our guide, that the fruit of the Spirit is the litmus test for our life of whether we have Jesus or not, if eternal life is to be ours someday. That is the litmus test. There's no two ways about it. It's just the way it is, right? It's what Scripture says. And I, I know so many people within this congregation knows, know what it means to to walk in humility and understand and, and, and look at themselves in an in a authentic way and they, they, can, they can call the stuff out in themselves. And that's, that's powerful and that's awesome and it's good. But you know, when we fail and we fail again and we fail again and the years go by, that burning fire that we sang about earlier, burn in me, burn in me, burn in me. Burn out the dross, Lord. Burn all that stuff away. That, that desire to see the Holy Spirit burn that stuff away, it dissipates, and we get comfortable in our own sin. We get comfortable with justifying it. We get comfortable with saying, it's okay if I do this or I do that. I, I, yeah, I can ask for forgiveness, but uh, sometimes I think we even forget to ask forgiveness because we, we just so nonchalantly engage in those things. God wants us to come out and be separate, to look very different than the rest of the world, to not see how close we can get to sin without sinning, but to run from it in the other direction, to be so full of the Spirit and every day doing the things we need to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit again, to be being filled in a state of constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need that so that we can display that fruit of the Spirit. It's the only way. Good luck trying to be disciplined enough to make it happen. You'll never arrive. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for a God who's so patient with us. What's your litmus test say? Last question. Are you filled with the Spirit? Or are you not? 
doesn't matter if you cast out demons in his name. doesn't matter how wonderful you are or what people say about you. What matters is, is the fruit being displayed. The fruit. The fruit. Let's pray. Father God, we all have times and we all have areas of our life where the fruit isn't always displayed like it should be. God, there's areas of our life where we come, we, we just, we fall miserably short of the mark. And I don't want this to be a beat the sheep kind of message, but God, your word is convicting. We get lackadaisical in our efforts. We get filled once and we say, woo, I'm, I'm spirit filled, I'm good to go. And we back off from being filled every single day like we need to be. God, this morning as a congregation, we declare to you our complete dependency on you. We need you. We can't do this in our own ability. Rekindle that fire, that passion within us that causes us to reach out towards you, that causes us to seek your face, to seek your spirit, to be being filled every day. So that these fruit, that these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit can be seen and be displayed within our lives. Not because we're so great, but because you're so great in us. God, we ask for forgiveness today. For being lackadaisical in these things. We want to walk as a Holy Spirit empowered people with signs and wonders following with fruit being displayed we want that God do in us what you must to make that happen it's a dangerous prayer but do in us what you must bring us to that place God in Jesus name amen Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.